All the Books is sponsored in part today by So Delicious Dairy-Free. From the yogurt case to the ice cream aisle, So Delicious delivers dairy-free decadence with amazing flavors and over-the-top creaminess. Introducing five new ice cream flavors, blueberry cardamom, chocolate drizzled bananas foster, peachy maple pecan, cold brew coffee, and toasted coconut key lime. Uh, Those are all the most delicious delicious sounding flavors. Um, And every scrumptious spoonful is plant-based, non-GMO project verified, certified gluten-free, and certified vegan, which is wonderful. There are never any artificial flavors, and it's always dairy-free. So you should definitely head to the ice cream aisle to check out these new delicious, so delicious dairy-free flavors. And visit sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash allthebooksfrozen to learn more. That's sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash allthebooksfrozen. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 154, and today we are talking about books being released on April 17th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. This show brought to you by Dayquil. (laughs) Poor Liberty, has a cold. (laughs) I tried to do the opening spot, but we laughed too (laughs) Cardamom is a really hard word to say with the stuffy nose, it turns out. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm not feeling my best today. It's not, it's going to be a quick, quick word for me, I think. We love you anyway. Um, you know, but I, I still wanted to do the show because mm-hmm. I like to talk about books. Speaking of books, uh, quickly before I forget, uh, they, we're recording a little bit later than usual, and so we got to hear the Pulitzer announcements. And Less by Andrew Sean Greer won the best novel, best fiction. And that is so exciting. I loved that book. So oh. surprising. And like, if you had said, name 20 books that you think you're going to win, I would have not picked that. Like, I, I didn't even occur to me. Like, I don't know why, but it is a wonderful novel, but... It, I guess maybe partly it seems, like, too positive for the Pulitzer. <laughs> like, they don't usually, they're not usually that upbeat or, you know, pleasant. So, it didn't even occur to me. And also, my list of 20, like, 15 of them would have been people who weren't eligible anyway. Because I was like, white tears, white tears! And I was like, wait, he's British. <laughs> like, I, I'm always rooting for the wrong people. Like, I wanted uh, Marlon James to win one year. And, oh, like, he's, yeah. he's not a citizen of the U.S. So, mm-hmm. well, I don't know anything. Um, no, that book was super off the radar. Um, I like don't even know that I knew that it was out. So I, it was completely not on my list of potentials. Even though, like, I know nothing about the Pulitzer finalists. Generally speaking, like, I never. I'm bad at guessing. I'm so bad at guessing. But I like that particularly. I think it's a big surprise to everybody. Yeah, a, a lovely surprise. Yeah, it's so good. I'm, I'm really excited, and I think it's a paperback in, like, May sometimes. So. Oh, maybe they'll bump it up. Yeah, or, you know, it gives them enough time to get all the stickers on the covers or <laughs> something. <laughs> maybe point. they knew something we did it. I don't know. Ooh, but, maybe. Um, speaking of things that are finally here. Yes! My first book today. My first book today. <laughs> sound ridiculous. <laughs> my first book today is How to Write an Autobiographic Novel, Essays by Alexander Chi. Woohoo! Yay! 
so excited about this. If you've been listening to all the books for five minutes, you know that I'm the biggest Alexander Chee fan, and he's just so wonderful. Basically, I'm just like a huge Alexander Chee fangirl, so Jen's going to be here to like also supply some information about the book, because I'm just going <laughs> to fawn all over it. Uh, but it's the it's just this collection of tremendous essays. Um, there's one about uh, his father's death and the inheritance that he got from that, the family turmoil around that. Uh, there's uh, mention of his activism and the years that he spent in San Francisco. He worked at a bookstore. Someday I'd like to do like a book about authors that worked in bookstores because there are a lot of them. And that mm-hmm. would be so cool to read about. Um, there's one where he discusses dressing up in drag for Halloween and what it means to be a girl and what it means to him like to dress up as a girl. Um, there's, he discusses like the MFAs and going to the Iowa City Writers. Uh, he talks about when he worked as a caterer waiter for William F. Buckley and his wife. It's just crazy. Um, there's a, I I think my favorite one, I'm a big sucker for lists, so I think my favorite one was the 100 Things About Writing. I think that's what it was called. I read it a long time ago now. Where he lists like 100 things you need to know, like, because a lot of these essays have great advice on top of like being... Um, you know, personal essays, great advice for writing. Um, so there's one that's like a list of a hundred things about to know about writing. Uh, there's a lot. What about basically like writing your autobiographical novel? Uh, which trigger warning? Uh, he does discuss uh, childhood sex abuse in that one, so mm-hmm. it's very sad to read. Um, and I just he's like he's like one of my idols. He's like one of my heroes. Like like seriously, uh, I think he's very generous and smart and kind. Um, we have several things in common, not, you know, the, the first being that we're both from Maine. And so even though we grew up in Maine living these two very different lives, um, there are like some things in common, like where he discusses how, um, oh goodness, who is it? Eddie Dillard, like, yes. dis- like dissects his writing and it basically boils down to he talks, he writes like he's from Maine, like the way he talks <laughs> and which is, you know, probably how I talk to and, like, the, how, like, he had to move things around in his sentences because of the way he'd grown up speaking. And, and I just I just loved this collection. Just absolutely loved it. Um, no surprise there. Like, we knew it was going to happen, you know, because he's amazing. Um, so I'm done fawning. And uh, if you want to share some of your thoughts as well, I would love to hear them. I mean, I am also a huge fan of his books. I think we recommended Queen of the Night on Get Booked, like a like to the point where people are like, "Oh boy, I wonder what Jen's gonna recommend for this <laughs> historical fiction question." Like, yeah. Mm. Um, and I love this essay collection. I think I agree with you on everything that you said, but I think my favorite, just because I'm going through like a really intense houseplant slash gardening phase of oh, my life, yes. was the essay he wrote about having a rose garden in this Brooklyn apartment. And it was so beautiful and wonderful. Like, I loved that essay so much. Um, but all of them are amazing. Like like you were saying, some of them are really sad, and some of them are kind of funny, and some of them are really thoughtful, and some of them are all three of those things at once. Like, he really is so good at words and at building a moment in time. Um, it's just, it's just fantastic. It, it's really, it's definitely going to be one of my favorite books of the year, like hands yeah. down, I, which is again, no surprise. I, I love his work, but yeah. And some of them have been published elsewhere before. So like if you too have been following his career, you'll recognize some of them, but others have are new and some of them have been rewritten slightly. So there's like, there's more here. Um, yeah. And, and I just think it's, I just think it's a stunning collection of essays. It's really, really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. going to be here at Maine at print, I think, on May 1st. So. Ooh, 
that's exciting. I'm excited. I'd have to check yeah. his tour schedule. I didn't even think to check if he's coming to Philly. I just assumed he wasn't, but maybe. I should look. I should look. He talks about uh, how he's a, a tarot reader. Yes. Like in, that was a good essay, one too. One of the first essays, and now I just want to, like, ask him to, like, give, I've never had one done before, and now I just mm. want to ask him and be like... I bet everyone wants to ask him. I was just going to say, you could, like, fund some some serious um, rent slash shopping slash whatever if you yeah. started doing tarot readings. Like, you could Skype them or something. So, yeah. So. <laughs> you know, Alexander G, ideas for your career from us. <laughs> He's had such an interesting life. I know. He is super interesting. Yeah. The cater waiter story in particular was just like, what? Um, <laughs> Anyway, okay. Uh, so, again, that is called How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. I think I said autobiographic novel earlier, but it's autobiographical novel. I'm sick. Cut me some slack. All the slack <laughs> is yours. But can I, just, can I ask you a question, Jen? Yes. And then if you don't want to answer it, then we'll just have Kyle cut it Okay, out. ask me. Um, do you mind telling the listeners what gardening thing you're doing? Because I never heard of it before, and oh. I think it's so cool. I will tell you. So in West Philadelphia, cute. Sorry, just <laughs> I can't say it without the song happening. Um, there is a historic cemetery called the Woodlands, and there are a bunch of different types of graves there. And one of the types of graves is called a cradle grave, which is basically like you, you, you bury the person and you, you know, cover them up with dirt and whatnot. And then you put up a headstone and then you put up another sort of marble, like open to the top container. That's like the full length of the grave and you fill it with dirt and your, 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 um, family are supposed to like garden on top of your grave. Um, as like, you know, in memory of you. Um, but this is a historic cemetery. So a lot of these graves are like, you know, people don't live in town anymore or whatever. Um, and so they're kind of abandoned and just overgrown with weeds. So the cemetery started this program where you can be a volunteer grave gardener and they assign you a grave and you like plant flowers and keep, take, keep, you know, keep it up kept and take care of it. And, um, it, they go like one step further because most of it, this was like a very Victorian era thing to do. They don't really happen that much anymore. And so you're only allowed to plant Victorian era plants in the Whoa. grave garden. Yeah. Yeah. It's like super specific and they provide seeds and plants to you and like equipment and stuff. Like it's a really amazing program. Um, so I volunteer, like starting this year to be a grave gardener and I got assigned my grave and um, I've started planting some things. I decided that my theme, because I was trying to find out some things about my occupant as I've been referring to her, um, but I couldn't find anything about her online. Uh, And so, and I don't have like subscriptions to all of those genealogy websites and I wasn't like willing to put a lot of money into the search. So Instead, I decided to make it bee-friendly because I love bees. Um, So I'm trying to plant things that, like, bees like but that are also Victorian era. There's pictures on my Tumblr. If you go to jenirl.tumblr.com, you can see some stuff. Um, But, yeah, it's super – I think it's really cool. Some people are really creeped out by this. Oh, I think it's so cool. Yeah. That's that's so cool about, like, the Victorian era plants and flowers, though. So you're not putting, like, you know, plastic carnations and, like – 
angry birds balloons and stuff like no. my balloons. <laughs> <laughs> no but like even some like there's a lot of flowers that are really common to us now that they just wouldn't have had in the united states huh. in that time period like they just wouldn't have had them um but they did have a lot of interesting plants and the people who run the program did a whole series of lectures so i got to learn about like the history of cemeteries in america and like about the plants and then there was also like a like a workshop about like how plants work which was great because I didn't know that um it's really super cool and fascinating I'm I'm really I'm really enjoying it yeah <laughs> but now I just need things to bloom I planted some things this weekend when it was nice and warm and then it got cold and I'm afraid that the seeds are all gonna die but mm. we'll see we'll see I can always plant more so yes that's what I'm doing that's, well, thank that's you for sharing oh yeah I mean I think it's super cool and I uh I, I wish everybody who was interested got a chance to do such an interesting thing. So, okay. Speaking not of graves anymore, <laughs> <laughs> my first pick, uh, I'm cheating just the littlest bit here. It actually came out last week. Um, it's Not So Stories, by, edited by David Thomas Moore. And what this is, I think this is so interesting, is a collection of stories that are sort of inspired by Rudyard Kipling's Just So stories, but they're decolonizing it. So like Kipling, who a lot of us grew up reading, um, you know, Jungle Book, etc., Ricky Tiki Tavi, all of that stuff, um, definitely had the point of view of his time he like saw British colonialism as like benevolent and civilizing and that is deeply untrue um but it sort of comes through in his stories and it's tainted those stories for a lot of readers especially readers of color and readers who are coming from former British colonies and so what this collection is is writers of color sort of revisiting that work and then retelling it in their own ways and it's the results are so interesting because the way each author who's included in this collection approached it is a little bit different. So like the opening story, um, which is, oh gosh, I don't have the titles in front of me, but it's about a spider. Um, oh, how the spider got her legs, I think is the title of that story, is very like it has a lot of the same feel as the original Kipling. Like it's very like told in mythological time and it uses like best beloved and the language is really, you know, fable-y and mythy. And then some of the other ones are a much more like contemporary style story, but they still pull in sort of the threads of Kipling, Kipling's works in interesting ways. So the variety is really cool and the different... Um, creatures and stories are very clearly inspired by these writers cultural backgrounds which I'm really enjoying and I will also say that it is like kind of gloriously angry <laughs> like all of the stories they do vary so much but there is this real thread of just like look look what you have done to our cultures and like this is my rebuttal to you and I I think that's really warranted um and also really produces an interesting collection so I'm I don't know I just think it's a fascinating concept and I'm really enjoying the reading um it's they're really well written and there's a foreword by Nikesh Shukla which is neat because he's well known um and it's got a bunch of authors that I don't know but it includes a story from Cassandra Ka which 
Kovic is great. Um, she's really good. And Tariq Musa, who I've also read some of his short stories. And Jeanette Ng is in there, and I've read some of her stuff. So there's some names that I did know, and then a lot of names that I'm discovering for the first time, which I always enjoy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's a fascinating idea, and I'm really enjoying the stories and you know appreciating what these writers are doing. Because I did, I loved Kipling as a kid. I just loved him. But now as an adult, I can see like kind of what the problems are. Oh, I shouldn't. I meant to mention these are not exactly children's stories. Like I would, I would say like junior high, like twelve and up is kind of where I would put this so far in my reading. Um, like a mature twelve. So yeah. So that's the not so stories, uh, edited by David Thomas Moore. And oh, and it's please yes. tell us about our next sponsor. I am delighted to tell you about the next sponsor, which is Circe by Madeline Miller, uh, published by Little Brown and Company. In the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of titans, a daughter is born, but Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father or viciously alluring like her mother. So she turns to the world of mortals for companionship and discovers that she does possess power, the power of witchcraft, which can turn rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. So this is Madeline Miller's follow-up to the bestseller, The Song of Achilles, which I loved. It's an epic story of family rivalry, palace intrigue, love and loss, as well as a celebration of indomitable female strength in a man's world. Um, You might know The Song of Achilles won a bunch of prizes. It won the Orange Prize for Fiction, It was a New York Times bestseller. It's been translated into a bunch of different languages. And I really love that Miller is continuing with this theme of taking um, a backdrop of, you know, a very male story. Like the Song of Achilles was a rewrite of the Iliad. And now Circe is set against the backdrop of the Odyssey, um, but giving them just like a completely different focus. So the Song of Achilles was a same-sex love story. And now Circe is about a powerful female protagonist in a very traditionally male story. Um, and if you like to hear other authors raving about these books, Anne Patchett has raved about Circe and called it an epic spanning thousands of years that's also a keep-you-up-all-night page-turner. So that, again, is Circe by Madeline Miller. Thank you for sponsoring the show. You are losing your voice. I know. I just got, like, a little... I have, I have allergies. <laughs> no, I have allergies, so I get a little crackly sometimes. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, I just want to say that... My boyfriend is home while we're recording, which doesn't usually happen, and he's in the living room watching TV. I, like, put the headphones on him, and he's watching TV, except he's watching Silicon Valley, and I can hear him laughing, so if you hear, like, weird (laughs) laughing in the background, you know, it's a note to self, next time he's home, only let him watch Sarah McLachlan dog commercials, so he won't laugh out loud. Um... So that's what that sound is. Your your radio or your do people still have radios? <laughs> your phone, your pod is not haunted by some cackler. It's just him in the back. Uh, moving on, we're all over the place today, mm-hmm. and I'm not even robo tripping yet. <laughs> My next it. pick is acid. <laughs> Speaking of tripping, <laughs> I didn't even notice. My next pick is Acid West, Essays by Joshua Wheeler. Um, Most of these have been previously published somewhere else, but since I had not read them, it was all a surprise to me. Yay! Yay. He reminds me, Wheeler reminds me of a more roguish John Jeremiah Sullivan. If you've ever read him, um, he's amazing. Go read Pulphead right now if you haven't. He's so incredible. His Guns N' Roses essay should win all the awards. Um, But getting back to Joshua Wheeler, he's, he's a little, I don't know, 
I got the idea this was sort of like a lighthearted collection, and I find it to be a lot darker in tone than it was being pushed as, possibly. Um, but they are just so refreshing and like wildly interesting, um, these essays. They're set in the Badlands. Wheeler's family uh, lived in New Mexico, or has lived in New Mexico, for seven generations, um, including his great-grandfather, who is there uh, the morning that they set off the world's first atomic testing blast which bleached his cattle white, the the flash from this, this atomic blast, which is just uh, awful and insane. Um, and, you know, Wheeler discusses the area's legacy of atomic testing as well as the search for hidden video games that were supposedly buried in the desert, uh, the UFO festivals. Uh, he talks about the death penalty. He has... It's a wide range of subjects. And I, I've got... Like, I don't want this to sound like a condemnation, but I am just going to say that I don't, I didn't feel like these should all be read at once. That some of the tones, it, they didn't mesh together mm, in this collection. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want, does that sound like a bad thing? If, like, no, no. You know, it's like, just reader I, advice. Yeah. Like, I found them all so interesting, but like, when I sat down and read them all at once, I was like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so, uh, but he's incredibly talented, and I'm definitely looking forward to reading more by him. Um, so, once again, it is called Ass and West Essays, and they're by Joshua Wheeler. Nice. Yeah, I found that of some collections that that's true, where if you just try to sit and read all of them in one go, you get, like, a little bit of emotional whiplash. You're like, oh, there's too much going on here. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, I also find that sometimes I think a lot is... It's a lot of pressure to, like, have a story collection or an essay collection where everyone, like, just fits so well together when they're so different. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, like books are judged on that, and I don't think that's definite, like, that's necessarily a thing that they should be judged by, like, if it just sort of flows together when they're Agreed. separate things. Yeah. I mean, unless that's the intention. If it's, yeah. like, a linked short story set, right. that's different. But, yeah. yeah. No, for, I agree. Agree. Yay. Um, yay. <laughs> okay. My next pick is Disoriental by Nagar Javadi, um, translated by Tina Cover. Oh, my goodness, y'all. This book is really good. It is a novel about a young woman named Kimia Sadr. Um, Sadr? Sadr. That's, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I did try to look it up and couldn't find anything conclusive to help me with this, so bear with me. Um, but she was 10 when her family fled Iran um, to join her father in France. Her parents were these intellectuals who objected both to the Shah's reign and then the reign of Ayatollah Khomeini. So they were basically political refugees twice over, um, and they did leave uh, Iran during the Islamic Revolution. And um, and then there's sort of two timelines in the book. There's her when she's little, and then now she's 25, and she's living in France, and she the book opens with her sitting in the waiting room of a maternity clinic, um, fertility clinic, actually is probably the right word for that, Um, waiting to get, like, artificially inseminated. Um, And you know that there's, like, something a little bit different going on with this process. Like, you know, the guy isn't there with her, and why isn't he there with her? And you kind of know that, like, they have some kind of connection to each other, but it's maybe not, like, exactly, like, they're not married yet, and she's really defensive about it, like, telling people. Um, 
And then you go back in time to her growing up in Iran and then leaving and coming to France and um, and like sort of how she got to where she is now. And there's this event, like she literally calls it the event, that she's talking around for most of the books. You know it's super traumatizing. It has shaped her entire life. Um, but you don't know what it is until much farther along into the book. So there's a lot of really interesting structure here because she's talking in a couple different, like about a couple of different personal timelines. She's also looking back at different generations of her family um, and like where they came from and all of these family stories and sort of family lore that's been passed down to her. And then you're looking at her present day too. And I thought it was beautifully done. Like it all flowed really, really well to me, even though the whole time I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is this event? Like, what is the event? What has happened? I need to know. Uh, so it definitely kept me turning the pages, but I was just completely engrossed in this family story. And if I had to kind of give you some comps, it, it, it immediately people are going to think of Persepolis, right? Because it's a similar time frame. It's about a young woman dealing with this, but this is like a, it's a darker and a much queerer, um, story about the Iranian revolutions and um, and what happened in Iran and what happens to you when you are a refugee, a political refugee. And it's really, oh gosh, it's just so moving. Um, it was hard to read in certain points because some of these stories are very dark. Um, and like you can see this trauma of, of being a refugee and then the violence that was perpetrated um, in and around her family. But it's just so... I just loved it. It's like a little bit punk rock too. The main character Kimia is like becomes a, a DJ, like a sound mixer, excuse me. Um, and so she's talking about like the rock and roll scene and like traveling around Europe. And I don't know, there's a lot going on here. And I just loved it. I loved it from start to finish. I think it's really great. And I hope a lot of people read it. Uh, so that again is Disoriental by Nigar Javadi and translated by Tina Cover. All right. Uh, my next one, uh, because I am sick, I'm sorry, you're going to have to bear with me. Um, I read a lot of books that came out this week. I read a lot of books that came out this week. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't love a whole bunch of them. Um, so I had to save some for the newsletter. But this is like going to be the next book that I read, like probably literally as soon as we finish here or after I take a nap and yeah. then we finish here. <laughs> but... I wanted to mention it because it sounds so interesting, and again, I'm just going to be, like, basically reading the description because I haven't read it, uh, but it just sounded so good, and everything I've read about it, it's getting great reviews. It's called Every Other Weekend. It's by Zulema Renee Summerfield, and it's a debut novel. It says it's a debut novel about an imaginative, imaginative girl in the year following her parents' divorce and what happens when her creeping premonition that something terrible will happen comes true in the most unexpected of ways. It says it is 1998 and America is full of broken homes. Every other weekend drops us into the sun-scorched suburbs of Southern California amid Brett Michaels' mania and Cold War hysteria where Nettie, a wildly precocious, nervous Nellie of an eight-year-old, is our guide to the newly rearranged life she finds herself leading after her parents split. And apparently, like, she has, like, a, a really, like, scary premonition that, like, comes true. Um, and it just, it sounds so delightful. I like precocious children in books. Um, not so much in real life, but <laughs> <laughs> I like them in books. And, no, I'm just kidding. Kids are great. Um, but it just, it sounds really fun. Like, 
and uh, I read like the first three pages, and already I was amazed by the sentences. Like they were just so beautiful. I was like, I can underline everything on these three pages already. So again, I'm you know I'm sorry that I haven't read it, but I just want to share it with you because it sounds amazing, and I'll follow up and let you know how it is. Again, it's called Every Other Weekend, and it's by Zulema Renee Summerfield. And oh, it's time for our our final sponsor. It is We Owe the Sky by Luke Aldat. It's sponsored by Park Row Books. And the synopsis says, Rob Coates feels like he's won the lottery of life. There is Anna, his incredible wife, their London townhouse, and most precious of all, Jack, their son, who makes every day an extraordinary adventure. But when a devastating illness befalls his family, Rob's world begins to unravel. Suddenly finding himself alone, Rob seeks solace and photographing the skyscrapers and clifftops he and his son Jack used to visit. And just when it seems that all hope is lost, Rob embarks on the most unforgettable of journeys to find his way back to life and forgiveness. It's for readers who love books that require a box of tissues close by. This is a tearjerker perfect for fans of Me Before You, One Day, or My Sister's Keeper. It's an international sensation, a debut novel that has taken the world by storm with buzz building among readers from all around the globe. So again, that is called We Own the Sky by Luke Alda, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. I feel like Marty McFly in Back to the Future, like, I'm working really hard to finish before I become completely see-through. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just deteriorating as we, as we talk. No, <laughs> we're so close, we're so close. Most of the second bit is me. <laughs> Hang in there, Liberty. All right. Okay, I'm gonna tell everybody about my next book. Um, I had, like, a little, I fell down a little bit of a small press rabbit hole for this. Actually, I think... At least, so Not So Stories is from Abaddon Books, and then Disoriental is from Europa Editions, and my next one, Pearls on a Branch, is from Archipelago, who always do a really good job on their covers, like, they're, they're like, fun to touch somehow, like, they're texturized in a really interesting way, and then I also just think they're pretty. Um, and this one is Pearls on a Branch, Arab Stories Told by Women, by Najla Kauri, and the translator is Inea Bushnak. Um... And this is so interesting, the premise of this collection. So the author is actually technically the editor. Um, and she, during the Civil War in Lebanon, she traveled with a theater troupe, putting on shows in areas where, you know, there was no electricity or they were, like, performing in an air raid shelter or a refugee camp um, and all of these really isolated villages. And so they traveled around putting on shows based on oral tales. And part of the way they came across those was as they traveled, they would ask people to tell them stories that they knew, like literally like the, all the oral traditions that were passed down um, in, in from when they were children to today, like tell should they would be like, tell me a story. Um, and so years later, she chose a hundred of those stories and published them in Arabic in 2014. And she published them like basically word for word from how they trans, how she heard them from the storytellers. And now this is 30 of those published in English for the first time. So this is a cl- collection of folk tales and they are all told by women um, in Lebanon. And it's so good if you like folk tales, which I do. Um, I just thought these were amazing. I love the sort of rhythms of oral folk tales. And because these are from Lebanon, they're very different from the ones that I grew up reading, like, you know, the Brothers Grimm type stuff. Um, and so discovering those new sort of traditions and new framings is really great. Um, they are really, some of them are really funny, like, uh, and some of them are a little bit like, you know, morally gray, like, like, like lots of fairy tales and folk tales are. Um, some of them are just so kind of 
bizarre. Like, there's a woman who's, like, basically made of cheese in one of them. <laughs> um... There's we know another. someone like that. I mean, it's true. I do know somebody who's basically made of cheese. You're right. Yep. You're right. We do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're really interesting. And they have, you know, like princesses and secret love affairs and supernatural creatures granting wishes and all kinds of different motifs going but they're just they're just really delightful um and fascinating and they all have these interesting little like some of them have little poems before and after them I don't know like I was just enchanted by this collection it was really great before bedtime reading and if I I'm not a parent but if I was a parent I would read some of these out loud to children in my life because it would be so much fun to read them out loud because they're made to be told out loud like they were told out loud to the editor and now she's telling them to you the same way um obviously translated but still I just think it's great um and it is a really beautiful cover and this is kind of this is like one of those books that you put on your shelf like next to your other collections of mythology and fairy tales if you're me I have that shelf um so you definitely should look those up if that is the kind of thing that appeals to you I just think they're wonderful so that's Pearls on a Branch Arab Stories Told by Women um and again the editor is Najla Khoury and the translator is Inea Bushnak and we're up to my last book I'm going to make it. You can do it. I'm holding it in there. Uh, my last pick for today is actually a book that came out last week that I immediately read after we finished recording last week's show, so I didn't get a chance to recommend it, but I loved it so much I thought I should mention it today. It is called Air Traffic, A Memoir of Ambition and Manhood in America by Gregory Pardlow. He, speaking of Pulitzers, he won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry a couple of years ago, um, and this is a memoir... He discusses his life as a son, as a father, as a writer, and as a recovering alcoholic, told kind of through the story of his relationship with his father, who is this sort of larger-than-life figure, um, very jealous, sort of, he can be very petty, um, just but also, like, very caring man, um, who he was, his father was an air traffic controller um, when Gregory Pardlow was growing up, uh, and you are almost all probably not old enough to remember this, but in 1981, there was a big strike of air traffic controllers, and Ronald Reagan said, get out of here, and laid off 13,000 striking workers. Um, and after that, things kind of went downhill for Gregory Pardlow's family. Um, they, they didn't have any money. His father became an addict, um, and things took kind of a dark turn. Um, Gregory joined the Marines after school, and uh, after that, he went to work at the jazz club that his family owns. Um, and it's sort of like... a a story of him trying to exceed expectations, like, you know, he's not, a lot is not expected of him, and he's, he wants to be better than that, but it's kind of hard with, with everything that's going on in his life. Um, he discusses his grandfather, who was also an air traffic controller, he was in Oklahoma, and in telling that story, he talks about the Tulsa riots of 1912, which was a part of history that I had never heard of before. Um, or if I've read about it, I didn't remember, but it was just this horrible story, um, the Tulsa riots of 1912, in which 300 African Americans were killed in the first aerial attacks on the U.S. Basically, when uh, Woodrow Wilson declared segregation, um, and all these African Americans had been working in government jobs up until that point, and then they were the jobs were all taken away from them, and they were very upset, and then these, like, well... Um, these well-off landowners, white landowners, went and, like, bombed their houses with their, like, crop planes. 
It's just, have you ever heard of that? I have not. I am no. going to look it up later, though, that's for sure. It's, it's, it's like, and, uh, sorry, I'm just, it's a very distressing, you know, dark subject, yeah. but I just, I had never heard, like, how could you not know about that? Like, how are you teaching that in school? Like, it's just yeah. crazy to me. Anyway, so he talks about that, um, but you know, he talks about his dad, like, how um, when he won his Pulitzer, like, his father was kind of jealous and behaved very poorly at the party that they had for him, um, and, you know, his father passed away um, right before he finished this book and he talks about like having to go and change the, you know, the um, tense, you know, in the story that he's telling of his dad. And it's, it's so, so I'm not doing it any justice. I don't think, but it's so, so interesting and fantastic. Like this one will be winning awards this year. So again, it is called Air Traffic, a memoir of ambition and manhood in America by Gregory Pardlow. Definitely want to read that. Okay, my last book, I y'all, I have a confession. I I downloaded the galley because it was available and did not read that it was the third book in a series that I haven't read any of the other books in. It's Before Mars by Emma Newman. And I have zero sense of the context for this book, but I'm reading it anyway because that's what <laughs> I do. So I'm like a th- I'm like a third, a quarter to a third of the way through, and it's really interesting so far. Um, it's about a woman named Anna who is a geologist and an artist, and she has just arrived on Mars, um, for this like private company outpost that's there. Um, and she is sad because she's left behind her husband and young child at home on earth and she'll be in Mars for a year, but she's also really excited to be on Mars. Like she worked really hard to get there and, um, and, and she's an artist and like part of her job is supposed to be creating these paintings of Mars, which is a really amazing opportunity for her. So she's excited to be there, but there's like conflicting feelings. And then when she gets there, she gets like, you know, escorted to her room and she's all disoriented from being in space for so long by herself she's in like a one man one woman in this case shuttle basically from earth to mars um and there's a note uh, like on her bed written in her handwriting that says not to trust the colony psychologist and she's like how did this get here? Why is it in my handwriting? Who is messing with me? Like, what the heck is going on? And there's a bunch of other tiny things that are just kind of off. And so you can tell from the get-go that, like, something is very wrong here. But she's also confused about her own perceptions because she was just in space for a really long time all by herself. There's possible, like, psychosis repercussions. And then also you start to find out there's, like, you know, some family history of mental illness. So maybe is it her? Is it the people around her? Like, what's going on? Um, and that's where I'm at with this book. I have no idea about anything else in this series, but I'm really, I really need to know now what is going on. Um, and in terms of books that it reminds me of so far, it reminds me a bit of Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty, which is like a locked room murder mystery in space, but with clones. Cause it's got that a little bit like sinister whodunit feel to it. And then also the wanderers by Meg Howery, which is another, like there's all of these sort of privatized space exploration stories coming now, because that seems more and more likely to be what happens. Like, you know, um, a lot of these private corporations are probably going to get to, to actual put people out in space before NASA does, um, just because of f- the way funding and capitalism works. And and, and I don't how many think... people want to get off this planet now? Right, well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> that too. So so 
but it's interesting because growing up for me, you know, people generally were in space because the government sent them there, right? Like that was the prevailing narrative. Um, but now it's like a new narrative. And I think that's interesting in terms of trends in science fiction. So I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to probably go back and read the other ones. Um, but that's Before Mars by Emma Newman. Well, awesome. So what are you going to read next? I have a bunch of books that are going to be due back at the library soon, and so I'm trying to read them in order of their expiration, like release, like when I have to return them, rather. Um, and so the next one is The Sky is Yours by Chandler Clang Smith, which I've been hearing such good things about. What about you? I'm going to read Little by Edward Carey. Oh. I, it's my most anticipated book of 2018. And I got a copy of it, like, two days ago, but I've been sick and trying to do work reading, so I haven't read it yet, so mm-hmm. I'm so excited to read it. I just love him so much. I think on all the backlist last week or the week before, I, I talked about him because he's so awesome, and now I can finally tell everyone how amazing it is. Yay! So, there you have it. Thanks so much to everyone for bearing with me yeah. this week. <laughs> all right, let's see. I'm going to take my first stab at doing the wrap-up um, on right. behalf of, of Liberty Being Sick. So thank you again to our sponsors, So Delicious Dairy Free. You can visit SoDeliciousDairyFree.com slash all the books frozen for more details about that. Circe uh, by Madeline Miller, which is out now wherever books are sold. And We Own the Sky by Luke Allnett. Um, we will have links in the show notes, so you should definitely check them out either on the internet or go to your local book emporium and grab one for yourself. You can drop us a line at allthebooksatbookriot.com and you can find us on the internet. I am on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. What about you, Liberty? I'm on Twitter, Miss Liberty. And she's a moment on Twitter today. She's, oh, yeah. She's my, very fancy. <laughs> my mentions are a hot mess right now. <laughs> I bet they are. I just bet they are. Um, you could also, if you have a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show, and we always love to see feedback. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, you just listen to me, really. Like, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. As in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.